Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. The New Year to all of you. Man, so good to be together. Uh, got to uh, welcome, close out 2023, and then also get to spend our uh, New Year, starting off the New Year together. What a, what a great opportunity uh, to be together as family uh, for uh, this New Year. Um, for the past few years, we have been spending the first Sunday in January focusing on spiritual formation. Uh, it's a new year, right? It's a fresh start, and we want to take that opportunity to channel all of that excitement and energy into helping each other be formed more and more into the image of Christ. I feel already the energy in the room this morning, and not just the kids, but it's like, it's a new year, right? We're motivated, we are excited to learn new things. And so maybe this year will be the first time you read through the Bible for yourself, or maybe you take a shorter goal, maybe read through the New Testament. Maybe this will be the year you establish your own normal kind of devotional rhythm. Maybe this will be the year you incorporate prayer and fasting into your life, right? While everyone is flocking to the gym to put away those extra holiday pounds, maybe this is your chance to start each day making your heart happy in Jesus. And then you can go back to the gym, you know, in a couple of weeks. Once, uh, you know, the, all that, you know, New Resolutions crowd kind of fades uh, away. But what a, what a wonderful opportunity as a church to start our new year thinking about how we can grow in our relationship with God in this new year. And this year, I want to focus on prayer. I want to spend a little time on prayer. And I feel like I have to say up front, prayer is not something that has come naturally for me. And so I'm not just like, I'm the pastor, of course. And so pastors are supposed to say, well, we have a wonderful prayer life and prayer is just, you know, the language of my soul and whatnot. <laughs> but, but that's not naturally the case for everybody, right? If you are at all smart or wise, you will enter the ministry with a strong prayer life. I think that's a very important thing. But there are also uh, accelerated tracks to learning for those that aren't quite that smart. And one of them, one of those paths is called church planning, right? All of the unknowns of church planning, who's going to join, where are we going to meet, what leaders will God raise up, how are we going to reach our community, who's going to give to support this work, all create a certain level of desperation in prayer. With so many factors outside of my control, I find myself praying out of sheer necessity. Uh, definitely more of an intense journey to learning how to pray, but it was a process that over the last 12 to 13 years of my life have, have actually taught me how to pray. And so, so gone from kind of a mediocre prayer life to like a good prayer. I wouldn't consider myself an expert, uh, but God has grown me uh, through those years. In fact, um, I would even go as far as say I have no business being here except for prayer. The fact that Redemption City Church is here is its own little miracle of God's grace, his gift uh, to, to so many to be a part of this 
uh, family. And so <clears throat> I want to hasten to add that church planning isn't the only accelerated track to learning how to pray. God has a way of throwing us into the deep end of the pool to teach us how to pray, right? Some of you know, right? Some of you have been there uh, either in the past and are nodding your head right now, thinking through seasons in your life, in your marriage, in parenting, at seasons of schooling or career or illness or unemployment where like you genuinely learned how to pray, right? That's often what God does. He gives us the one thing that is necessary to learning how to pray, the recognition that we can't do it on our own, right? That is one of those fundamental lessons that God has to teach uh, each of us. And in some ways, right, if you're wise and you're smart, right, you can, you can just learn how to pray. Just talk to your heavenly Father, right? There's nothing more natural thing in the universe than to want to talk to the God who made you and who loves you and has wonderful plan for your life. And in some ways, there's nothing more natural than wanting to partner with him in his kingdom work, to be a part of what he's doing, to join the adventure that he is writing in the world. And I'm hoping some of you would be inspired to pray that weren't just for that very reason, because you have an opportunity to be a part of what God's doing in the world, to join the adventure that he is calling us into, to be a part of his great work in the world. Maybe some of you this new year with this fresh energy and inspiration will make prayer a priority in your life. That'd be beautiful. But for many of us, um, it's going to take a genuine crisis to really teach us to pray, right? Maybe, maybe God has a genuine crisis in store for you in 2024, a crisis of faith, right? A crisis in relationships or your job or family or just doubt and anxiety. I don't know what it's going to be, but maybe this sermon will come back to you in that season when, when God does throw you into the deep end of the pool. Uh, but let me set the sermon up for this morning. Um, when I started my church planning journey, uh, this is about 12, 13 years ago, during my residency at Bethlehem Baptist Church over in Minneapolis, we were assigned to the book of Acts along with Ephesians and the pastoral epistles, uh, as places to be really marinating during our residency. They wanted us to be in the Bible, thinking through what we can learn from it. And um, as I was reading Acts 1, 12 through 14, it really just stopped me dead in my tracks, right? As I was thinking, reading, praying, preparing to, to launch a church from scratch, I read the verses that were just read to you about how the disciples, right, how you know, right after Jesus ascends to his father, they walk back to Jerusalem, they gather together as a little small group, you know, and they start praying. And I was like, this is really amazing. This is a very small group of people in the very first church ever planted. And the very first thing they do is what? They pray, right? They pray. That's the very, that's how Acts begins. That's how the whole story of the church that we're a part of today. That's why there's like 3 billion Christians in the world today, or 2 billion, whatever the number is, you know, because a couple people, 20 people gathered in a rubber room and started praying because they wanted God's power to come down and God's purposes to be fulfilled and God's mission to be accomplished. And here we are, you know, 2,000 plus years, halfway across the world, sitting in a room, part of that very same story, all launched out of a prayer meeting 
in the upper room. Uh, interestingly enough, this church was launched out of a prayer meeting in the upper room on the other side of town at Crossroads Bible Church, uh, their aptly named multi-purpose space being the, the upper room. And so this church was launched also out of an upper room. And so uh, as we're thinking about prayer and its purposes, let me give you the big idea for this morning. Uh, the big idea is that prayer is the prerequisite for any significant move of God. I think that's what we see in Acts chapter 1, right? Prayer is what drives all of the ministry and mission of the church, what God is doing in the world. Prayer is the prerequisite for any significant move of God. And this morning, I want to look at three things that drive us to prayer, right? The problem that drives us to prayer, like I said, sometimes we need a problem. We need something wrong in the world to get us on our knees, get us dependent on God, uh, build some of the desperation that we need. I want to look at the uh, possibility that drives us to prayer, that, the opportunity to talk to our Heavenly Father, to commit our cares and needs to Him, and finally, the purpose that drives us to prayer. What is it, the vision, what is the mission that drives us to prayer? And my aim for this morning's sermon is pretty simple, that we would be a praying church, right? That we as a church would more and more be characterized by prayerful dependence on God, seeking his will, seeking his purposes, seeking his power, seeking his wisdom to see his ministry move forward with his means and his power. So let me pray as we dive in this morning to talk about prayer. So Father, uh, as we come and gather today, it's so good to be able to address you as our Father, uh, to know uh, that you're here among us, in our midst. God, you want to minister to each of us. Uh, you want to welcome us into the work that you're doing in this city and in this world. And so this morning, I pray that you make our hearts sensitive to what you want to do among us and in this church, and that each person here would get swept up into the bigger story of what you're doing in the world. Uh, we pray that this year we develop more of a heart for prayer, that prayer would become more natural to us, more instinctive to us, that prayer wouldn't be the, the final option after we've tried every other option and we finally go to prayer, but you'd start developing in us that, that reaction that our first response is to go to you in prayer. I pray that we'd pray boldly and specifically this year. I pray that we would see answers to prayer this year. We want to see new believers baptized. When Easter comes around, we pull the tank out. You see many new people being baptized and welcomed into your kingdom. We want to see believers established and equipped and sent out on your mission, church planning, doing ministry out in the workplace, just representing you faithfully in all the fields that you've placed our people, representing you in colleges and schools, all the places where you're going to have us. And so this year, we commit all of those ventures, all of those acts of faith and deeds of love, we commit them all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start this morning with the problem that drives the church to prayer. Uh, as human beings, right, we often need a problem. We need something that gets our attention. And there's rather large problem in the book of Acts that gets the disciples' attention. And uh, I think we'll get our attention, right? And that problem is this. Jesus has just left. 
And so if you're familiar with the Gospels, right, the disciples spent three years following Jesus around, you know, learning what ministry was like, apprenticing themselves to Jesus, learning what it was like to be a part of his kingdom work, learning how to do discipleship, learning how to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And after three years, the book of Acts begins with Jesus leaving, right? He goes, you guys, I'm going back to heaven, back to my Father, but you guys wait around because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here the disciples are. The leader, their leader, their fearless leader has just left. They've been given the most massive, most audacious mission the world has ever seen. You guys, you 11 guys, I already lost one of the 12. You guys are going to go make disciples of all nations. (laughs) Pretty pretty incredible for 11 guys standing around in this backwater province of the Roman Empire. And so these disciples we see in Acts 1, 12, um, have a, about a 15 minutes walk, right? A Sabbath walk, Right for Jews, they couldn't walk that far, so they, they get about 15, 20 minutes maybe to be able to stroll back into Jerusalem to process that Jesus is no longer physically with them and consider this massive mission Jesus has left for them. And what we see in Acts 1, 12 through 14, right, is that instead of scattering, they gather together, right? These 11 disciples, and they go back to Jerusalem, they, they go back to the upper room that they've rented, And they gather together with a few other people. Um, We see in verse 12, right, or verse 13, the disciples are mentioned. And then uh, also we have a few extra characters that are thrown in there. They went to the upper room uh, where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Altheus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women uh, which Luke t- uh, gives us a few of their names in Luke 24, Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. Uh, we see Mary, Jesus' mother is there. And then Jesus' brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. This small group of under 20 people has the audacious vision of evangelizing the world for Jesus. I love how Richard Lovelace sums up this situation Facing the formidable and largely unexpected task of evangelizing the whole world for the Messiah, the early church went to prayer, waiting for Jesus to pour out his spirit to enable them for, the ta- for this task. Acts 1, 13 through 14. Only the presence of the risen Lord could equip them to move outwards in mission. And while we might struggle to imagine what it would be like for these first followers of Jesus to be given this worldwide mission to evangelize the world for the Messiah. I think we can all relate at least at some level to being in over our heads, right? Anybody been over their heads in <laughs> different situations in life? Like for me, like the call to church planning was, was pretty undeniable, but those first steps were fairly daunting, right? Someone who's a little risk averse here, you know, where am I going to get the training and the assessment that I need, right? Where to plant for me wasn't initially clear. How to form strong partnerships with local churches to be on mission together. How to find a meeting space, you know, 
you know, knowing who to trust early on, you know, developing leaders, all of those things for me as a church planner, incredibly uh, difficult. Felt like I was in over my head, but that was the space in which I could learn to pray. How about you? Uh, where have you felt in over your head? Maybe at school where you just feel like, man, it's overwhelming, the social dynamics that are going on, the academics maybe, as you're in college or something, you're like, man, this is more challenging than high school, right? Maybe it's your job. You're just like, man, this is a really difficult season from an employment standpoint, man. I just need help. Maybe it's marriage, um, certainly parenting, right? Anybody, anybody, right, feel over their head with just the task of parenting and raising up the next generation? I mean, what an incredible challenge for us, right? And, and the disciples give us a wonderful model, right, for facing the impossible, right? Given circumstances far beyond our own limited abilities and talents and wisdom and skill, right, they, they show us how to go to prayer. They model for us this pattern of going to prayer. So we've seen the problem, right, that drives the disciples to prayer. Uh, next, I want to look at the possibility that drives the church to prayer, Now, as Christians, I think we intuitively know that prayer is the right answer, like Jesus is the right answer in Sunday school, right? We know, like, of course, we're supposed to pray. We all kind of feel that, I think, at one level or another, but why? Why why is prayer so significant for followers of Jesus, right? Notice the connection the disciples make uh, for the first three years they've been with Jesus, right? We already talked about that, following him everywhere he goes. They've been living with Jesus. If they had questions, they could ask him. If they had problems, he could walk them through it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Anybody like Jesus, personal consultation with Jesus after church today to, to talk through your problems? I would, I would sign up for that. <laughs> Please walk me through this situation that I'm going through right now. And Jesus, there in the flesh, to help them navigate all of the challenges, difficulties of life. But then a mere 15 minutes after he left and returned to his father in heaven, the disciples start doing what? This isn't a trick question. <laughs> they start praying, right? And, and we go, of course, that's what Christians do. But, but it's actually pretty profound, right? I mean, it's one thing me talking to Drew or talking to Matt or, you know, Mark, but it's different thing. Like prayer is kind of on a little bit of a different level, right? On one level, it's kind of weird, like, because like you don't always hear an always an audible voice on the other end. You're kind of like, it, this is kind of a different level of communication, but this is exactly what the disciples find themselves doing because they're in need of direction from Jesus. They realize Jesus is still alive, that he's still accessible, and and that changes everything for them. They realize some profound and fundamental things, that he is on his throne, that he is directing the advance of his kingdom. They realize, according to Matthew 28, that all power and authority have been given to him, and so they can follow him. He's going to be with them to the very end of the age. They, they realize he's interceding for them with the Father in heaven, as we saw in Hebrews 2 and 4. They remember his promise, right, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be their comforter, to lead them in all truth, to direct them, to give them the power that they need to actually live and follow his commands. Remember how he taught them to pray in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to, in a couple weeks, we're going through a workshop of the Lord's Prayer, learning how Jesus taught us how to pray. 
God's kingdom come, God's will be done as, on earth as it is in heaven. And, and so they're doing that, right? Jesus is gone, but they realize he's still accessible. They can still receive the wisdom and the power that they need to move his mission forward. And so they spend the next 10 days until Pentecost praying. And it's a solid prayer meeting. I've been a part of some prayer meetings before that lasted like all night. I've never been a part of a 10-day prayer meeting, but I'm sure that was a pretty incredible time together as the disciples were spending this time seeking God's will, God's presence, God's power for the work that he called them to. We see in verse 14 that they were praying with one accord. That's important, right? They all shared a common mission and vision given to them by Jesus. So when they're praying, they weren't all praying for their own thing. They were all about, Jesus said, we're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of earth. Let's pray that we would be of one accord for that mission. We see they devoted themselves to prayer, right? This is what they fundamentally saw as their job description while they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, right? This is their primary calling, right? This is the first core group for the first church plant that has ever happened. And there's no marketing. There's no church planning perspectives. There's no vision deck. There's no outreach events, man. It's just like they're just spending time together in prayer. And the apostles' prayer meeting here in chapter 1 sets the pattern for the rest of the book, right? Later on, the apostles will make this their primary calling, Acts 6-4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Same word again there. They're going to devote themselves. We're going to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word and prayer. David Peterson notes on his commentary, and I thought this was helpful, he said, it's striking that at almost every important turning point in the narrative of God's redemptive activity in Acts, we find a mention of prayer. Acts 1.24, Acts 8.14, Acts 9.11, um, For the early church, right, prayer was instinctive. It was in their DNA. It was their first response, first reaction. It was how it all had started, right? This is how the church were a part of. This is how the adventure began, and we are invited into that adventure as well. Of course, we've got our own kind of natural coping mechanisms, don't we, to the problems in life, right? right? When, when problems are thrown our way, right, we all have certain ways that we like to cope with it, different fight and flight mechanisms in which we respond, right? We don't always respond wonderfully like, oh, just prayer, my first go-to reaction. <laughs> no, no, we've got, we've got some of our own coping, and, and some of us are different, right? Some of us are like, I'm going to attack that problem. <laughs> you know, I'm going to strategize. I'm going to plan. I'm going to organize. I'm going to research. I'm going to do all these different things, and I'm going to whip myself up into a frenzy to make it happen. Some of us maybe are more like, I'm going to just freak out, <laughs> or I'm going to get really worried, or I'm going to check out, or I'm going to veg out, or some of you are like, what? Conflict? Trouble? Pro- I'm out of here. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm leaving town. I'm booking a plane ticket to some other place. I'm going on an adventure. Like, I can't handle the pain and the suffering associated with this. What, what this first church plant offers is a different way of navigating our pain, our conflict, the challenges that we face in life a way that should be first nature to us, right? As people made in God's image, made for fellowship with him, communion with him, but we've lost that. We've been alienated from God. And so we kind of have to rediscover this native language, our native tongue, 
uh, as a first response in our lives. And this first church does that for us. They model what it looks like to see prayer as our primary language, our primary response, right? It's just, just faith articulated, verbalized who God is and what he's doing. It's a beautiful uh, model we can learn from them. And I used to read stories like these in the book of Acts and wonder why God still isn't answering prayer. I used to think, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if God were still actually listening <laughs> and actually doing things in the world? Wouldn't that be great? But the last 12 or 13 years have radically changed my prayer life because I've seen God do so many things, right? I've seen God uh, totally shut down my prayers in wonderfully great ways. <laughs> Glad God didn't answer that prayer. And I've seen God answer prayers in ways that I... I have no explanation other than God's goodness and grace. I remember as a youth pastor, like in South Florida, like going, man, I feel like God's called me to church, but I have no idea how on earth I'm going to get the training that I need and then end up getting to go to this world-class church planning residency in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at Bethel and Baptist Church with John Piper. And I'm like, this is so cool. How does this happen? And then as I'm praying about where to plan a church and what to do, I mean, just to, to come over here, do some praying and fasting, meet with a few pastors, and all of a sudden just watch this red carpet just get rolled out in Grand Rapids and a place to plan and a team coming together and core group and people. And I'm like, I didn't plan any of this. I didn't even want to come to Grand Rapids. <laughs> and here I am, you know, like it or not. My wife was praying harder than I was, I think. And there are so many ways along the way. I can remember being just a couple years ago in, in COVID, like, you know, our church was like homeless. We got kicked out of Aquinas College and we're meeting at the park. And, you know, I thought we were going to be living in a van down by the river soon. But instead, we ended up, this building just opened up out of nowhere. And just like God just wanted to hand it to us. And I know at times, man, where I've just, you know, been through burnout and struggle and depression, just watching God bring mature seasoned pastors along to care. Like, there's so many ways that I could just go on to talk about the ways in which God has sustained my life and ministry and life of this church through prayer. And, and, and you know, my point here <laughs> that I'm coming to is it's crazy what a little desperation will do someone with a mediocre prayer life. And, and I'm talking about mine, by the way. <laughs> I think he could do it for you too. But like, you know, a little desperation, a little desire for God's help can go a very long way in terms of getting the kind of prayer life that you really need that you really need in your life. And so we've looked at the problem of prayer, the, the possibility. I hope you've seen, not, not just the Sunday school answer, but there, there's a real God who wants to really talk with you, uh, welcome you into what he's doing in the world, that you could be a part of that adventure. That's the possibility here, not just your old kind of tried and true coping mechanisms. Uh, there's some opportunities. Uh, finally, after the problem and the possibility, I want to look at the purpose that drives the church to prayer. I think sometimes we think of prayer as a very mystical sort of thing where we're like trying to read the tea leaves in the world and wonder, how do you know what God's will is? How do we know what God's purpose is? And, you know, we're looking for this subjective sort of thing. And what we see in the book of Acts is that the purpose of prayer isn't just kind of like, what does God want us to do? It's like, no, Jesus told them what to do. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of earth. You're, you're going to be a part of my kingdom work. He told them how to pray. Pray for my kingdom to come and my will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is about aligning our hearts to God's heart and God's 
purposes. This is what the disciples are doing in their 10-day prayer meeting, right? They've received their marching orders from Jesus. Now they're praying for wisdom and power and imagination to carry out that mission. How do they do what Jesus told them to do? They need direction, right? They need vision. They need all of the work. And the book of Acts is the story of how God leads them from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? The Spirit, Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost and the world has never been the same. And so notice that prayer isn't a mystical experience that bypasses God's word. Prayer is primary about aligning our hearts with God and his kingdom purposes. And the scripture is the sure guide to those purposes, right? It keeps our hearts aligned with his heart. I love how Tim Keller says in his book on prayer, he says, the basic purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to mine, but to mold my will to his Think about that for a moment, right? So much of our lives often are like, man, if only I could get God to do that thing that I want in 2024, that perfect new bod at the gym, (laughs) that new relationship, you know, if my kids could only behave this year or I could only get that job promotion or we have all of these ambitions. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong in any way, shape, or form. You could pray for them. Uh, God might say no too, but the purpose, right, of prayer is, is to mold our will to God's will, to, to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And I want to suggest, right, that, that, that's not a downer. It's like, well, I'm not going to pray anymore because, you know, I can't get, like, the new car or the new girlfriend. No, it's like you could be a part of what God is doing in the world. His kingdom purpose is the greatest thing. This is the great adventure. And I hope you grasp that because... That is what prayer invites us into, welcomes us into, sweeps us up into. And if you miss that, the romance of prayer, if you will, (laughs) you're going to miss the whole idea of what prayer is all about. That's what we see in the book of Acts, an incredible story of the church taking off like wildfire in the ancient world, spreading to eventually conquer the entire Roman Empire, the mighty Roman Empire. This is the story of every move of God in history, and this can be our story today, right? The beginnings of a great move of God, right? We've seen them throughout history. Uh, A couple of weeks or months back, I talked about the Jesus movement just a generation ago, swept the entire country. Incredible to watch hippies and, you know, these counterculture people being swept up into the story of God. God could do that again Today, as Sebastian and I were just talking about an article on the Gospel Coalition by two college ministry guys, like Kyle Richter, I think is his name, maybe pronounce that, and Patrick Miller, saying that Gen Z is primed for spiritual renewal, primed for a fresh move of God. And whenever I hear that, I'm like, sweet, like, yes, maybe we could be a part of the next great move of God. But they gave five reasons why Gen Z, and we hear all these negative stats, don't we, all the time about, oh my gosh, the the world's going to hell in a handbasket. This next generation is terrible. They're just on their phones all the time. (laughs) And like, yeah. And and I want to give you just five reasons to be optimistic that God is going to be doing something with this next generation. These guys, five guys who are in college ministry, these are things they're seeing in their life in ministry. You can kind of nod your head if you're seeing them too. Uh, But this is what they said. Number one here, number one reason Gen Z is primed for spiritual renewal. Isolation during the pandemic created a hunger for belonging, right? I don't know if you feel that in your life, but man, that generation, I watched that college students go through the pandemic 
You know, college is supposed to be the greatest social moment of your life. You're going to hang out with all these other young people. You're out from under your parents' roof. You have all this freedom. You have all these wonder. It's supposed to be this, build all these incredible memories, lifelong friendships, and there is so much disappointment surrounding that. College students that didn't get graduations, high school students that didn't get all the traditional experiences, And there's a hunger, and what group of people should be perfectly positioned, right, to meet that need for belonging, right, than the church, right? A place where we're welcoming people, not just into a church on Sunday morning, but around our tables, you know, for dinner, for communities, for discipleship, for life together, right? The church has an answer for the isolation out there. Second one, a second reason they're primed for that, disillusionment with ineffective, abusive, hypocritical readers Leaders is creating a hunger for sincere, humble, transparent leadership, right? This has been the era of politics, polarized politics, you know, you know, toxic personalities on, you know, talk radio or cable news, um, scandals like across the board, presidents, you know, sports figures, media, college presidents. Um, yeah, I just saw something, <laughs> JB was telling me about a college president who is like, you know, I should probably not even get into this, actually. But <laughs> this is maybe inappropriate, you know, inappropriate stuff. But anyways, doing, doing naughty things that college presidents aren't supposed to be doing. But, you know, it's, it's all over the world, right? It's the world we live in today. There are leaders that are just letting us down. And the church should be, and I'm not saying it always is, and I recognize there's been a lot of that, that in the church, the church too movement too, but the church should be. We should have the humility, the grace, the, the forgiveness, right, to be able to model what this next generation is looking for in terms of real, authentic, genuine leaders. Uh, Third, uh, pervasive anxiety is creating a hunger for deep peace, right? This is an anxious age, right? We are now available on our smartphones to know every terrible thing that's happening around the entire world immediately when it happens, right? We're, We're bombarded with the latest earthquake or ethnic genocide or you know, terrorist attack or school shooting, and, and we're just getting pinged constantly by this anxiety. And, you know, we're an anxious generation, right? And, of course, the church, right, is, right, we follow the Prince of Peace, right, the one who invites us in to remember he's in sovereign, he's got all authority, he's got all power. We have an opportunity to welcome people into and trust in the God who is sovereign over Oh, we have an opportunity to invite people struggling with anxiety to step into a place where they could find God's peace, the one who is gentle and lowly and will help you find rest for your souls, right? That's kind of our brand, right? <laughs> That's kind of what Jesus is offering and what Jesus is all about. The fourth one is this one. I, this is another really interesting one. This is not my generation here, but uh, <clears throat> number four, digital self-projection and self-perfection are creating a longing for real-life, non-judgmental sincerity. I don't know if you've seen that, but this is what I'm hearing from younger students, right? Living on social media, on TikTok or Instagram, or like you're, everybody's putting forward this compelling vision of themselves under who knows how many filters and all of the different things that are happening, right? There's this projection of the perfect self. And yet underneath that, the burden of projecting that image of yourself, right, is a desire to just be genuine, be real, to be honest about what's actually going on. And of course, the church is a place where you can, should be able to take off your mask, right? Because we all admit up front, it's the price of entry. You have to admit you're a sinner, right? <laughs> to be able to even enter into this community, right? We shouldn't be able to 
most honest place in the world where people can be real about their struggles and their challenges, their difficulties, because there's grace, there's mercy. God is here to meet us with that. And then finally, reason why Gen Z is prime for spiritual, the loss of places of belonging is creating a hunger for healthy institutions where Gen Z can find mentors. Uh, again, right, you know, so much loss of trust in so many different areas, in politics, business, you know, the, the academy. And so there's a need, there's a desire for genuine mentorship, for people to walk alongside people who have had wisdom and have experience and maturity to walk alongside people in a church. And that's something uh, we've loved to do at Redemption City all the years, working with college students and seminary students and being able to help people walk through those big transitions in life, trying to find their first job, get graduate, work through their first relationships, figure out how to have kids together. It's one of the great privileges of this church to be able to do that uh, together. So I say all those things just to say, man, like God is doing something in the world today. We have an opportunity to be a part of that. And prayer is part of that invitation, right? Prayer is the opportunity to say, God, what do you want our church to be doing? How can we be a part of what you're doing in the world to lift up our eyes from just our mundane, everyday existence to think about the bigger story that God's writing, the bigger kingdom that he's building, uh, the bigger work that he's doing in the world? We could be a part of that, and prayer is that invitation. So what would it look like for us to be a praying church? What are, what are some practical steps? Obviously, we need to actually do some praying together, right? You know, prayer is often caught as much as taught, right? We need opportunities, spaces to pray together. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a group of people that are here every week from 930 to 950 praying for the ministry of this church, praying for the advance of the gospel here in this uh, region and around the world. And there's an opportunity to be a part of that group and that ministry. Our worship team is here uh, every week before the service, sometimes right up to the service, <laughs> praying that God would move, right? That people would encounter God in our... I would love everyone in our church to be a part of that. Just everyone to be here like, hey, we're so anticipating what God's going to do in our gathering today. We just want to be here, be joining, be praying. Come before church and pray with our people. During the church, we love to pray as well, right? We get to pray for what God's doing. Even our singing, it's prayer if you think about it. We're, we're worshiping God through song, but those songs are directed to God. It's, it's prayer. It's part of the language of our lives. And of course, we're going to get an opportunity in a few minutes to spend time around communion. You're going to get an opportunity to commune with God, to get to spend time with Him in this space. And of course, throughout the weeks, uh, we hope you take advantage of the opportunities in community to pray for one another, uh, to be in a group with guys or girls in an LTG group to be able to pray for each other. Such a huge blessing. And of course, if you want more practical, you're just like, man, like, I do not know how to pray. I have a terrible prayer life. <laughs> I really need to learn some practical things. We're doing a prayer workshop January 20th, right? 9.30 to 11.30. You don't even have to get up super early. You just roll in. You'll be done by lunchtime. You want to learn a practical uh, way to pray. We're going to be working through the challenges, the difficulties. It is going to be a super honest, no guilt, no shaming <laughs> opportunity for you to learn a practical framework for prayer. I hope you could join us for that. You could sign up on Slack. You can slide up on the email. Um, you could come talk to me if you want to be a part of that meeting. Really do want to see a fresh heart for prayer in our church this year. And I want to close uh, one final quote here <clears throat> from Steve Childers that I think perfectly captures 
the essence of this message. He said, God loves to pour out his spirit with power on those who will dare to align radically their purposes with his. God loves to pour out his, pour out his spirit with power on those who will dare to align radically their purposes with his. Oh, that we would be a church that dares to align radically our purposes with his and would see incredible answers to prayer this year. And so let's do that. Let's pray that God would do that uh, this year at our church. Father, we thank you for this short passage of Scripture, Acts 1, 12 through 14, that just models the priority of prayer in the life of the church, that models prayer as the prerequisite for any great move of God, uh, that opens up the imagination to be a part of what you're doing in the world. We thank you for that. We pray this year that prayer would be uh, at the heart of what we're doing. It would be the engine driving the ministry that we're doing. It would give us vision, imagination, new ideas for how to reach our community, how to train and equip followers of Jesus, how to help people take their first steps in their life of faith. God, I pray yeah, prayer would be just central to all we do. Teach us, God, to make prayer more of a first response in our lives, a first impulse, just the, the natural language of our lives and souls, we pray. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.